This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, You Are the Man, and it comes from 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 31. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648. And there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google, wherever you go, we're there too. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no space between Radio Bible Class. Two weeks ago, we studied about controlling your thoughts, and we really got around that there's good thoughts and there's bad thoughts, but more importantly, that sin starts with a thought. And we looked at David and Bathsheba and how that started innocently. David was bored. He's walking on the top of his rooftop, a patio-like, and he sees out over the city this woman bathing on her rooftop. It's in the evening. It's not dark yet, but it's in late afternoon, and she's taking a bath, and David is captured by her beauty. But instead of just catching that innocency like he did, he began to focus on it, and then he thought about it. And that's where sin starts, when we take whatever happens that temptation comes before us, and we focus on it, and we think about it. The Bible tells us that he went and asked about her. Someone came back and said, this is Uriah's wife. David, don't do this. This is a married woman. But David didn't care. He sent his servants to go get her. She came back. The Bible tells us that she had just finished her time of the month, which lets us know that she wasn't pregnant. And David takes her and has relationship with her. And then he sends her off. And he thinks to himself, nobody will ever know. I've been able to enjoy this beautiful woman. David had a problem. He had multiple wives. We've talked about that. I won't go into it. But David had a problem with women. And so he enjoys this beautiful woman and he sends her off. He has his one night stand that nobody will ever know. And we talked about that as well. Even though you think you may be able to get away with it, God always knows. And that sin that you think you can get away with has consequences. That consequence, we can't cover it up. David tried to cover it up by ultimately killing her husband and then marrying her and then saying that he adopted her child. But we saw David try to cover it up instead of confessing his sin. And at the very end of chapter 11, we saw that God was disappointed with David and the sin. God is always disappointed with the sin. Doesn't mean he stops loving us. The Bible tells us in Romans that there's nothing that can separate us from his love. 
That includes the worst sin ever. That means you're never too far gone. But it doesn't mean that God approves the sin and he's okay with the sin. And we saw that. Matter of fact, I want to read that to you real quick. 2 Samuel 11, verse 27. I'm going to just read the very last sentence in that, in that verse. that says, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. David developed this ultimate plan that was going to allow him to get away with it. Nobody would know. But God knew, and he was displeased by it. And now we're going to see that God doesn't let him get away with it. God calls him out on it. That's right. Right here in chapter 12, where we're picking up today, we're going to see roughly David's story and how Nathan comes to David and tells him that God's not happy and that you have a consequence with your sin. But we see that David is convicted and he repents. You can also go look at Psalms 51. That is the psalm that he writes about his sin and his repentance. And we can see his heart in Psalm 51. But more importantly, today we see that this story in chapter 12 is our story. It is the story of redemption from sinner to forgiven. It's the story of our faith, how we got to where we are today. Hopefully, if you have already asked God to forgive you of your sins, you understood that you committed sin that God was displeased with and you've asked for forgiveness. With that said, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. We'll start in verse 1. I'll be reading out of the ESV. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him, and he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and he grew it up with him and with his children. It used to eat his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock and herd to prepare the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against this man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You are the man, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king of Israel, and I delivered you out of the hands of Saul. I gave you a master's house and your master's wife into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this was too little, I would add to you as much more. Why would you despise the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wife before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord, and the child who was born to you shall die. And then Nathan went to his house. And we're going to stop right there for now, because there's a lot to unpack right here. First thing I want you to see is in verse 1, 
the Lord's call. The Lord sent Nathan to David. First of all, this isn't right after this all went down. As a matter of fact, we find out as we go through this chapter that the baby has been born. We saw this, that that child that has been born is going to die. So we know it's been at least nine months. Most commentators seem to think this is almost a year afterwards. So the child is born, but it's and it becomes sick. But the prophet Nathan was sent to bring this message to David. The Lord told him to go and confront David. Remember, I started off telling you about how the Lord was displeased. And we see this because the Lord sent Nathan to David. He was displeased with it. He wasn't going to let him think he got away with it. David was convicted, I'm sure, by the Holy Spirit, just like we are. But he didn't listen to that conviction. And so God sends him another chance. He mercifully sends another person to speak to him about what has happened. What I want to say to each of you listening to me is you shouldn't assume that God's always going to keep sending people to speak to you. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us there will come a time when God will shut up. He will be quiet. In Genesis 6, 3, it says, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. When we hear, we sense a conviction by the Holy Spirit. We need to respond to it immediately because it might not always be there. God may not always send us someone to help us be convicted by the Holy Spirit. So God sent. God put a call on Nathan and he sent him. But we also see that Nathan had a relationship with David. We know that because just several chapters back when David wanted to build a temple to put the Ark of the Covenant in. Nathan told him to go ahead, and then what happened? Nathan said, the Lord spoke to me last night, and you're not to do it. You're to secure the nation of Israel, and your son will do it. You can go ahead and prepare everything, but you're not to build it. There's too much blood on your hand. So we know there was a relationship between Nathan and David. But anyhow, Nathan is smart enough to come and use a parable instead of just sticking his finger in Nathan's chest. And in this parable, Nathan was smart enough to use a lamb because back in those days, a lamb sometimes was kept as a pet. And Nathan uses a story of a pet lamb to speak to David and convict him. Now, in this story that Nathan uses, Nathan uses the story of theft. And David, in sense, really had stole something from Uriah. He had stole his wife, but not only had he stole his wife, he had murdered as well. If you study the Bible, you understand back in those days that when you were married, the man had ultimate rights and authority over the body of his wife. David wasn't married to her during his one night stand. And because of that, this was adultery. It was sexual immorality. It was theft and ultimately murder. And as we get to the end of this parable of this story that Nathan's telling, we see David condemns the cruel man in Nathan's story. David is angered by it. And once you see that Nathan never asked David for a decision, a judicial decision, David just naturally assumes that the story was true. And David immediately passed sentence on the guilty man that's in this story. David has no idea. Anybody knows about what has gone on. And so He passes judgment on the man that did this, and he says the man will surely die. What David did not knowing is that he condemned his own sin. And so he condemns this man to death, but not only death, because he knew that death wasn't enough. He was also going to make that man pay fourfold what he had done. Well, how does this apply to you and me? Well, first of all, this is a typical response for people. People rarely see the problem in themselves, but they see it immediately in other people. They can see the problem in other people, but not in themselves. 
I would tell you that most sin is because of us. The truth about most sin is it is us. It's from us. It's our thoughts. It's our feelings. It's how I feel about a certain situation or, or whatever. It's what I wanted. It's what I think I deserve. It's, it's because of us acting in our natural flesh that we sin, and our sin is against God. And sometimes we don't ever see that the sin is us. And that's what happened with David. We see his anger towards the sin, but it takes Nathan to confront him and say that you are the man. You're the very person. Sometimes we can't see the very flaws we have, even though it's inside of us. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Roman tells us that in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But if you look back at verse 7 with me, you see Nathan tells him flat out, David, you are the man. And when I was growing up, you are the man had a different context to it. It meant that you are the one. You, you're in style. You're what everybody wants to be like. You're the trendsetter. But here's not what he's saying. When he says, you are the man, he's saying he's confronting him. He's poking his finger in his chest at this point. He's saying, you have killed Uriah the Hittite and you've taken his wife and the Lord God Almighty knows about it and you have now sinned against the Lord. He's very displeased with it. You think you got away with it, but you didn't, David. But right here we see the path to redemption. We see the path to repentance. And it's being honest, it's taking an assessment of yourself, and it's repenting of the sin that you've done. When the Holy Spirit comes knocking on your heart, because he will, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of that sin that you've done, you can be like David and try to just ignore it. Otherwise, you need to confess it before God. You don't need to cover it up like we saw he tried to do last week. The path to redemption, and we see this in David, is honesty with yourself. You know, there is a 12-step to recovery. You know what the first step is in the 12 steps to recovery? Is admitting you have a problem. Do you know what the first step is to redemption? Is to admit that you're a sinner. To admit that you're wrong. Is to be honest with yourself. Listen to what Lamentation says. Lamentations 3.40. It says, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. In other words, let's examine ourselves and expose our sin so that we can come back before the Lord. But in verse 7, we see that Nathan puts David in his place. He tells him the problem is him. And he tells him that the Lord is about to bring justice to him. But I do like David's response. After he's been confronted, he doesn't do like most of us, because most of us would have stood up and said, Hey, do you remember Goliath? Do you remember how I took down Goliath? Hey, do you remember Saul, how I had to run for him for 10 years? Hey, do you remember the wars that I've won? Do you remember how I took over Jerusalem right here and gave back the promised land to the nation of Israel? Do you remember? That's what a lot of us would do, but that's not what David does. You know, David doesn't even go as far to say this is Bathsheba's fault because she took off her clothes and made me do this. No, David does exactly what he should do. David got the hard rebuke from Nathan and he simply admits that he sinned. And he says, please forgive me. He truly repents. And if you don't believe me, go read what he writes in Psalm 51. You can hear the echo of his heart in Psalm 51. Psalm 51.3 says, For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. If you want to know what true repentance looks like, true repentance has no demands. 
It makes no excuses. It gives no clarification or justification. It just owns the sin and says, I'm sorry. I'm going to change. Think about the prodigal son and how he came back. He left with pride and a haughtiness that he wanted his half so he could go see what the world had. But when he came back, he came back humble and he owned it and he asked for forgiveness. Psalms 32, 5 says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden, I said. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Hopefully by now, if you're not a Christian today, if you've not truly repented, if you've tried to justify your sins and the way you, were, you grew up and the rough life you had, is, there's no excuse. And it's really simple. All you have to do is admit that you're a sinner. You have to admit that you need a Savior and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come be the Savior of your life, to come and help you through your life. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What that means is He'll cleanse us from our sin. What you need to understand is that it just takes a confession. It doesn't take excuses. It doesn't take justification. It just takes ownership of what you've done and ask for forgiveness and be willing to turn from it. Matter of fact, the people that you hurt, you know what? They don't want to hear your excuses or your reasons. They just need to hear your acknowledgement. This is what I did and I'm asking for forgiveness. Don't deny it. Don't deflect. Don't defend. Own it and ask for forgiveness. Jesus taught on this in Luke 16, 15. He says, you are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your heart. For what is highly esteemed among men is an admonition in the sight of God. Until you truly own it, your justifying will not get you restoration. It will not get you repentance. It will not restore the relationships that you've lost in your life. If you want restoration, it comes through repentance, which is sorrow and admittance. It's not that your sorrow you got caught, but it's owning it, admitting it, and saying that you won't do it anymore and that you're going to turn from it. I want you to see that God does forgive. He forgave David. Nathan tells him that. God's forgiveness for this sin was immediate. God didn't demand a time of probation or, David, if you do this or that. Through his repentance, he was forgiven immediately, instantaneously. And even though he had committed adultery and under the law of Moses, that was a penalty of death, he would not have to face that. But I want you to see the cost of that sin. See, in verse 14, it says, The child who is born to you shall surely die. And there is a difference in the judgment for sin and the judgment by sin. See, God forgave David of his sin, but he would not shield him from the consequences of that sin. When we sin, there is consequence. We've covered this. And the consequence of this original sin was there was a child. And now the consequence of this sin, even though there's forgiveness, is that there is going to be death. David is going to have to face the consequence of his sin, beginning with the death of the child born by Bathsheba. One commentator writes that this shows that God didn't only want David to be free of the guilt of his sin. He also wanted David to be healed from the presence of that sin. And, you know, David was healed from it. Because when you look through the Bible, we never hear again about David committing adultery, which was against God's law. And then we see in verses 15 through 23 that the judgment of the Lord does come down. The son does die. And this is why some people have a bad rap on God. 
See, God loves us, but God also chastises those that he loves. I'm going to read it to you out of the New Living Translation because I like the way it's worded. But out of Hebrews 12, 6, it says, For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. The Apostle Paul was trying to teach us here that we are to accept our suffering and our discipline from God as a good thing. Even though we don't understand the goodness in it, he's treating us as a son of him. You know, when my children do something wrong, what do I do? Even though I forgive them of what they've done wrong, there's typically a spanking that came along with it. And what the Lord is doing right here is he spanks David. And I want to make sure you see that the chastisement, what is happening is on David and Bathsheba, not on the child. This illustrates just what Jesus did for us. Even though we are forgiven of our sins, there was a price that had to be paid. God didn't simply just pass over or excuse the sin. It was forgiven, but a price was paid. And the price that was paid for you and I was Jesus going to the cross and ultimately taking on our sin for the world and dying on that cross so that we could believe in him and let his blood wash over us and wash us clean to take away the brokenness of us and allow us to stand before a holy God. And so this is an example of a price that has to be paid for sin. And I want you to see David's heart in all this. Even though there is a consequence and a price to be paid, David didn't just accept it. He fasted for the child. He did an extraordinary prayer and fasting, but it didn't change God's mind. David understands the consequence of the sin, and he does everything to plead for that child, just like you and I would plead for our child. It says that he went to the house of the Lord and he worshiped. We see that David didn't turn to man. He didn't turn to the doctors. He went to the true physician. He went to God Almighty and said, don't let this happen. Give me another choice. Even through all this, the child dies. But we see that David had a peace with it. He had fasted, he had prayed, but he had a peace with it because he knew where the child would be. Look at the very last verse, verse 23. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And this is what I want you to catch. I shall go to him and he will not come to me. What the commentators say here is, and this is a key verse in which a lot of people believe that children that die before the age of accountability go to heaven because this shows, this is one verse right here that says that I shall go to him one day, but right now he won't return to me. David is saying as he's dead, he won't come back, but I'll see him again in the future. I'll see him in heaven. And then I want to wrap up. Even though there was a price to sin, there's also favor restored because of the repentance. There was a price for the sin, but there's favor restored. Look at what happens, how this chapter ends. Verse 24 then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went in and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet, so he called him Jedidiah because of the Lord. Well, there are a couple of things I want to point out real quick. One is that right here in this verse, verse 24, is the first time that Bathsheba is called by her name. Before, it's been Uriah's wife. But here we see Bathsheba's name is used. You'd have to go all the way back to 2 Samuel 11:3 when we first see her name. After that, she was the wife of Uriah. But we see the favor of the Lord is returned back to David because we also see that he's given a child. The two of them are able to have another child. His name is Solomon. 
And the Bible even tells us that the Lord loved him. I don't know about you, but this makes me feel excited. Not because that this marriage started out as an act of adultery, but because of the favor. Even when we've committed a sin, when we've fallen in the face of adultery, God forgives us and he blesses us when we ask for forgiveness and we repent of that sin. And right here we see that a remarkable thing happens. They're able to have a son. The son that began out of adultery is now going to be the heir of David's throne. God chose this son among David's sons, all the heirs that he had, that will rule right after David. He'll be an ancestor to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ. And it all happened through a marriage that started through adultery. And the chapter then wraps up about Joab having success, how he was able to fight against the Ammonites and take the city of Rabbah. And he sends a message to David and tells David to come, and he does. They conquer the city. This may not sound like much, but remember, he's been battling this battle since this child was conceived. So this battle's been going on for over a year, and then now he's able to conquer the city. The victory of the city comes only after David gets right with God. After what had seemed to start this battle out of a sin comes a victory when he does repent. Again, that should bring us excitement of the favor of the Lord that comes when we turn to him and we walk from our wicked ways. I'm out of time, so let me close with this final thought. The very end of this chapter, we see that they have this victory, and David even goes and takes the king's crown. David's sin didn't take away his crown. I wonder if David had refused the voice of Nathan, the prophet that came to him and said, you are the man would David's crown still be in place? But because of David's response and his confession and his repentance, there was still a crown for David's head. What I want you to walk away with today from this lesson is that for there to be unity or reconciliation, there must be repentance. And before repentance, there must be belief. Our belief must be strong enough with sufficient understanding that it doesn't just drive us to our knees to save our skins and get into heaven, but it also compels us to make the sacrifices necessary to change our conduct and the way that we walk. And that's my question to you today. Are you walking with the Lord? There's a lot of you listening that say that you're saved, but my question to you is, is your belief strong enough through that repentance through that belief that it wasn't just going to your knees and praying a prayer, but it's enough to make the sacrifices to change the way you walk. And if it isn't, I ask you today to go back to your knees and ask God to help you walk more aligned with him. Ask the Lord to help you take off your fleshly self and put on the new self and respond the way David responded. Will you do that today? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for our time together. Lord, I thank you for this study. Lord, this truly is a foreshadowing of what your son came and did for us. We saw that there was the sin. We saw there was the conviction. We saw that the conviction led to a repentance. But even though there was a repentance and you forgave your grace, that you always show grace, there's more grace than our sin where sin abounds, there's much more grace that abounds. Well, we saw that there was a price that had to be paid. And your son came and went to the cross and paid the ultimate price. And Lord, I pray for the one today that doesn't know you, 
that's never asked you to be Lord of their life, Lord, that they would be like David in this story, Lord, that they would be convicted and they will ask you, Lord, they will understand that they are lost and they are going to hell unless they make you Lord of their life. Lord, I pray today that they will do that. They will believe on it and their belief will be strong enough for them not only to believe what you did on the cross, but then to change the way that they walk on a daily basis and to chase after you. Lord, maybe there's one today that's kind of in a backslidden state. Lord, maybe they prayed the right prayer, but for whatever reason, they've gotten away from you. Maybe they've allowed sin to creep in their heart. Lord, I pray today that they will put it at your feet. They'll ask for forgiveness so that they can see the favor that we saw that you gave to David after he asked for forgiveness. How you gave the victory to Joab. How you gave him the son that you loved. The one that will carry on his throne. Lord, we thank you for all that you do. And Lord, we thank you that you love us enough that your grace abounds and covers our sin. That you sent your son for us. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you give this ministry. Lord, it's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.